Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Here today with Alex Cheadle. He's the CEO and co-founder of 10 Lifestyle Group in this case, isn't it? 10 Lifestyle Group, yes. Fantastic. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. Now, go to tell, tell these guys, we actually know each other from a long time ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. We both started off. So, better uh, make that public right now. Um, doesn't mean I'm going to give you less of an easy ride or mm-hmm. anything like that. So, why don't we kick off one minute summary for people new to this story and we'll take it up from there. So, at 10, we organize things for people. Yeah. We organize things for high net worths and mass affluent. And mostly we organize uh, travel, dining, tickets for music, theater, and sport, and, and then a few other areas, mostly clustered around retail. And we have to do that better than the individual. Yeah. And we get paid to deliver that service by banks, credit card businesses, and other brands who want us to delight their customers so they can make more money from those customers. So Alex, tell us about the early days. Where did it start? You, you obviously had quite a good year this year in the markets, share price up, lovely, but it's a, one of those 20 years in the making overnight success stories, isn't it? So the, the early days, um, I was working at P&G, Procter & Gamble, yep. and, uh, where I'd gone to learn business. I'd been an entrepreneur as a kid and in my early adult years. Mm. And I was looking for the big idea. And in 98, I could see that companies were gonna use digital management, mm. uh, digital knowledge management technology to target individuals. I didn't know back then it was gonna be Google and Facebook. But I was interested in using that same similar technology the other way around and using technology to advocate for individuals in getting better services and products. So that was the, that was the first insight. Right. What do you mean by that? Break, break that down. What, so I mean, what I meant by that back then, and still mean it today, yeah. is that if we could learn by organizing for you a great weekend in Paris, or organizing how to buy a car, or organizing mm-hmm. how I can get you tickets for Ed Sheeran, and then I've got uh, thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of other members, some of them are going to want very similar things or the same things. Mm-hmm. So if I master the knowledge to solve it for you once, right. that business is going to scale over time and with scale. Right. But then we said, well, what, could we make this kind of business that uses technology this way into the most trusted service in the world? Right. And that's when we started getting really excited. Obviously, technology back then, I think we all remember it, quite yep. basic. So it's quite a vision to yes. have. And it, you know, things ramped up reasonably quickly, but you know, nothing, nothing, it's, it was nothing compared to the way that our kids may be able to access information. That's right. So how, lo- how long did it take to actually technically deliver that vision? So. The biggest challenge we had was partly technical and partly because our members weren't ready, mm. as ready for tech as people wanted mm. them to be. So we used tech inside our business very early on to help our lifestyle managers deliver better service more efficiently. And that got us all the way through to 2014. And every mm. few years, we'd go out to our members and say, we're going to build this digital platform for you to self-serve. What mm. do you think of it? And mm. every time we showed it to them, they said, actually, we'd rather just deal with your lifestyle managers. They're great. Mm. And we don't really want to go to a platform. Um, cut to 2014, 2015, and people said, yeah, I would use that. Where is it? I'd prefer to use that quite often than talking to somebody. Mm. So then we just got very quickly started building that, our first digital platform here in the UK. So the answer is 16 years. 16 years before right. the consumer was ready. And then happily, the right. tech was better too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So like, now I remember you from back in the early days. You start off with a you know, very... Sub- I'm not going to say simple offering. It was it was what mm-hmm. people wanted access to, which yeah. was the fine dining, the the travel, yes. shows, that yep. sort of thing. And back in the day, we did all sorts of other things. We we organised reliable tradesmen and other things like that. Absolutely. But, but those kind of things we cut out. So we cut out reliable plumbers because 
actually, you want a reliable plumber, I want a reliable plumber, yeah. but it's very hard to find somebody that actually comes and tells you what you want to know and fixes your boiler in the way you'd like to have it fixed. Tell me about it. So we stopped doing yeah. plumbers and we focused on dining, tickets, travel, and a few other right. areas, because in those areas, we could build trust through consistent service. Right, okay, but you have tried a few things over the years as well. Yeah. But I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with this period of before you went public, because I'm yes. trying to understand what you learnt yes. during that period. Okay, so it sounds like you had a few forays into other areas, yeah. some successful. We, we kept the areas that worked, yeah. and then, then we set up a side business as well, right. helping head teachers run their schools. Right. So which you might think, well, what the hell has that got to do with lifestyle management? Mm. But it goes back to the original vision for 10. Head, head teachers have got a lot in common with mm. each other. And so in some ways it was easier to scale a knowledge management based business with yeah. teachers than it is for private members because mm -hmm. they've got more in common more quickly. Uh, but that business was only as big as the market for head teachers in the UK. And sure. after we got that to a certain scale, we sold that yeah. Yeah. so that we could just focus on the lifestyle concierge service. Right. And that was, I guess comes back to your entrepreneurial roots. You wanted yeah. to try something, see if it worked. It did in that case. Yes. What other learnings were there? Were there failures, failures as well as successes? Yeah. Um, we, well, I mean, in 2003, we actually technically went bust. So yeah. uh, we didn't technically go bust. We did go bust. Yeah. Uh, we had, um, we were growing uh, the business quite well. Right. But we had loads of technology entrepreneurs as members. We had a load of people in the city as uh, yeah. paying for their employees to have it. And in that mini downturn of kind of 2001 mm. to 2003, we lost some business. Yeah. Our cost base was too high. We had to cut to survive from 100 staff to 33. Mm. And then we grew ourselves mostly through generating our own cash from 2004 through to 2014. Mm. Okay. So it was hairy years. We did look after all of our shareholders in the previous business. Yeah. I personally gave them free shares in the new business. And that's one reason why we've got such a good name amongst private shareholders in the market today. Absolutely, and again, something I do want to come on to in terms of yeah. you know, why, why the kind of go public route. Yeah. But again, just sticking with the private bit for now, because I think it paints a picture in people's minds about you as an individual, the thinking of the board, mm. you know, and, and indeed what the business plan is for the public company, okay? Yeah. So things go wrong, yeah. and if you fix them, life is good. People look at you and go, well, they did go wrong, but at least you fixed it, yeah. you know. Um, make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Right. So, what are, what are the other things that you you've you've picked up along the way? You know, it's like it's twenty one years now. So you've had sort of eighteen, nineteen years of in the private environment. It's very yeah. different from the public environment. You can I say behave a different way. You're not on show so much. Mm. But what are the things that you think you're going to bring with you into the public environment? So I think we've got because we grew our business just from cash we generated at, at you know north of. 24, 25, 26% for years. Mm. We learned how to grow whilst being really careful with our cash. Yeah. And so that was a really useful um, instinct to have. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you've got to keep that high growth DNA. You can't just become a slow growing business that's too defensive. And I think we just about managed that well, mm -hmm. uh, well enough. And now, when we've come to the public markets and we had investment at mm. a decent level for the first time when we, after we IPO'd, mm. I think we spent that very wisely because we knew the price of beans, if you like. But why go, why, why go public at all? Really good question. So we, in many ways, should have, um, we were about to invest in rolling out our digital platform yeah. and in going global. Yeah. And so some people that we went to speak to said, well, you should list after you've done that 
because that'll be a perfect time to list. You'll have got the risk out of the way and you can just ride public market uh, um, a wave, if you like. Mm -hmm. But we did need to raise a little bit north of 20 million pounds and our private shareholders- For what? For the second version of our digital platform, right. for that to work globally. Right. And when we launch into new markets, we've got new lifestyle managers with an un underdeveloped supply base and we need to pump prime that and invest in that to begin with. Yeah. So. So those two things were the two things that we that we needed to invest in, and we needed to clear some debt as well. So some debt being private investors who'd been backing you to a point, yeah. plus any institutional like bank no, debt no, in no, there? No, just private investors. Right, so they've been in a long time, say 18 odd years, yeah. and they've got things they want to do, presumably, yeah. and they want an exit. This Was that the reason for going public? Well, so our private investors, uh, a little bit like uh, Boris, wants it, want their cake and eat it. So they actually, the vast majority of them, wanted to stay in, mm -hmm. but they didn't want to reach in their pocket many more times to fund the business. And, um, and, and they wanted liquidity if they wanted it. Right. So we were left in, a, in an odd situation whereby I'd raised money from all of those people individually. We never used a broker. We never mm -hmm. used uh, um, an advisor on that. Um, and so I felt a debt of uh, honor to those people, really. And so when we went to talk to private equity, their deal to us was essentially, Alex, we'll look after you and the management team, but you've got 50% of your business plus owned mm -hmm. by lots of private angels. Let's screw them. Mm -hmm. and we'll look after you and, yeah. and ourselves. Yeah. And that didn't sit well with me. No. And we weren't a business that could take a lot of debt, so we weren't a natural for some maybe more reputable private equity businesses. So we turned down PE. We didn't want to raise more from private individuals, and that left us the opportunity to list. So we listed in November 2017, just before we fully went global and launched our digital platform. Right. Which again, we'll talk about that in yeah. a second. So, yeah. the so what what is the case with the those private investors? Have they indeed followed their money? Have they stayed on board, or have they used it a chance to liquidate? Where are they today? Yeah. So most of them are still in. Right. Uh, some of them have bought in the last uh, since IPO as well. Bought more. Right. Um, uh, there's been some people taking things off off, but mostly right. uh, they've stayed in. The vast majority. Yeah. And it's important to explain why, because mm. our brokers were very surprised about that. They said, mm. oh, no, people won't stay in there. They'll, mm. they'll see a listing as a, as a liquidity event. But they invested because they believe in our vision. They've seen us deliver it over many years. And I always tried to only accept money from people if I thought they would, wouldn't lose more than mm. one night's sleep if they lost a lot. And so... Most mm. of our people, there's one guy who's a partner in a Magic Five law firm. He wanted to invest 400,000. Mm. We said, well, why don't you only invest 100,000? Mm -hmm. And that was the first conversation we had with him. He then did invest a couple more times. But you know, he's not extremely wealthy, but he's wealthy enough that if he lost a lot at any one yeah. time, it wouldn't have been a disaster. So those people, the investments they had in 10 were investments that they could they were completely discretionary. They weren't mm. investments they were using to buy their first property or, or as a pension fund they need to draw on straight away. Right, okay. So, and again, finishing off on the, on the private side, yeah. because again, I think it's fascinating, is do you think you could have continued to remain private if you'd made the decision not to upgrade your technology platform? You didn't need this 20 million. Because yes. your private investors are a captive audience, quite frankly. It's hard to sell. Yeah. I've tried yes. numerous occasions in private yeah, investments. Yeah. It's painful, right? Yes. And you don't always get full value or what you yeah. think perceives full value, right? So 
what were the options available to you if, say, listing hadn't come along as an option for you? Well, we had already won some of the contracts that we were rolling out and mm. we were going to need to deliver them. If we hadn't listed, we would have raised less money. We wouldn't mm. have paid off our debt, mm. which was debt primarily to private shareholders paying just a decent unlisted market coupon. Yeah. Um, and we would have had to raise five or six million rather than 20 million. Now, yeah. what that would have meant was that when we expanded into the new markets like Canada, grew massively in Hong Kong, grew massively in Latin America, mm. uh, we would have had to have squeezed efficiencies right from the start. Mm. Now, what that would have then meant was that we would have delivered some standard service yeah. when we were new in market. Yeah. And so those contracts that we had won from competitors, we would have won. We would have been able to make them profitable quicker than we did. But our corporate clients would have then been disappointed yeah. with our progress and would have blackened our name right. uh, amongst our corporate client base. And they wouldn't have wanted to grow them in year two the way they, the way they have. Were you making money? Were we making, were they? Were you? What, from the listing? When you, no, when you were private. Uh, I was, the business was just making, um, uh, most years was making more cash than it spent, but not enough to, to pay right. a, a not dividend. Enough for, not enough for growth. No, no. Right. Okay. Let's go on. Finally. Yeah. The, the public. Set. The public, yes. <laughs> so you've, gone, you've gone public. Yeah. It has, I mean, you're an XPNG guy. I, I would hope it has sex and sizzle, and you tell a great story, I think always mm -hmm. have. And I think people see videos of famous chefs and famous people and great restaurants and great locations. And you know that's, that's the image that is out there, but yeah. underneath this needs to sit a robust, profitable business. Yes. And you're hoping to do that through yeah. global growth, hence yep. the 20 million bucks. Is that, mm -hmm. That's entirely for what technology, offices, new personnel, what else is it going into? Yeah, it's mostly technology and then funding the inefficiencies right. when you're new in market. Although we're, we're kind of over that second bit. Right. And okay. we're, you know, we're approaching cash flow profitability and a cash flow positive uh, uh, generation and, and profitability now. So you, okay, well, let's get into the numbers now. I was yeah. going to save it. Sure. Because I, I quite like the sex and the sizzle bit, uh, yep. personally. But um, okay, so you've, 2019, You've increased, it says here, uh, revenue by 23%. Yes. You've had some costs in there. Yep. So you're not making money not this that year, year no. but you think you will this year? Uh, yes, we're headed in that in 20, direction. In yeah. Next financial year. Okay. Yeah. And you're doing that because of the size of the contracts that you're getting. So you're all about getting contracts. Yeah, That's growth is good for us. Right. So when we, when we grow contracts, we expect up to about half of that to then drop through to the bottom line. Then gross profit. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. And I saw a lovely video that you did online. People should go and watch that. Um, we, seven minutes explanation. Quite nice. Quite nice. Good, good. Um, where you're talking about the, the size of those contracts is growing mm -hmm. and you have different scales in there. If you yes. could just explain what you So a medium contract medium. is something yeah. that's between £250,000 and £2 million a year. A right. large is £2 million to £5 million. Mm. And actually only in the last year, we've now got a, a third category of extra large. Yes. Uh, roll up, roll up. So our extra large contracts American. are five million pounds a year plus, and we've right. now got three of those. Two launched, one about to Fantastic. launch. Fantastic. And again, just for painting the picture, the, these are, there's a big list of some fantastic brands on yes. your website, but who so are they, sorts of names? So in the UK, names yeah. that people will be familiar with, HSBC, I've got mm. a private banking, low end of private banking yep. product called Jade. Yep. Uh, every Jade customer gets our service. Um, everybody that has private banking with Coots can get our service free. Yeah. 
Thank um, you. <laughs> we've got a service with NatWest in the US. We've got services with City right. National Bank, who are kind right. of the coots of LA. Right. Um, Merrill Lynch, right. Scotiabank and RBC in Canada. Uh, we've got deals with banks in Mexico, two of the top five banks in right. Japan three of the top five banks in China, right. uh, and so on. So, so you're, you're, but you're moving into new categories as well, not yeah. just bank financial, because yeah. credit card companies and banks are quite used to giving away these you know, services to their customers, depending yeah. on how much money they've got with them. That's but true. you've got some new things, corporates coming in as well. Yeah, so now we've got some companies buying it for their staff, and that's right. good for us, to make their staff yeah. more productive and happier. Yeah. But then we've also launched with a telecoms business right. uh, in the early part of 2020. And we're quite excited about that. That's going to help them with their ARPU, their average revenue per user. Mm. It's a product which they will be selling with all-you-can-eat data and all-you-can-eat calls right. to their top spending customers right. to give them services, then lock them in at a suitably high level. So what's level. the sales pitch to them? Tell me how do you sell to these big banks, etc. You know, you've yeah. won 23 out of 27 pitches, I think. So That's you're right. very good at pitching. You know, you know how to tell a good story. But can you quickly give us a synopsis of what are they buying into yes. and why are they going with you? So what's exciting for me right now in the business yeah. is that we've got much better at that quite recently. So a right. few years ago, we would ask a bank or a top brand, do you want happier customers? And we could prove to them we can make their customers happier. They, how, how? How do you do that? Um, what are you measuring? Well, we would not often measure net promoter score right. and just the amount of positive feedback we get back. Right. But we've become a lot more sophisticated. So now, instead of saying, do you want happier customers, we can go out to banks and credit card businesses and other brands and yeah. say, do you want to make more money? Now, all of them want to make more money. Right. So now we can prove that if you've got a client group A that use concierge and client group B that don't, but yeah. otherwise they're exactly the same, client group A are more likely to be retained by your brand. They're mm. more likely to grow the assets under management. If it's a credit card, they're much more likely uh, we can prove that they grow spend on card and spend abroad. And we can also prove customer acquisition as well. One private bank we work with says the third biggest reason why people now bank with that private bank is mm. to get their concierge service. And that's worth a fortune to them. So we talk about some of these offerings that you have. Yeah. You know, you you get some of the best restaurants, best hotels, holidays, etc. You know, and you've got these deals with these people. But what's to stop me? phoning up you yeah. know, whichever restaurant I want to go to when I get the same service. So it's, it's really interesting. Actually, investors understand this better right. than many other people. Right. So the reason restaurants love us is our average member spends 80% more than the average person in that restaurant. But right. on top of that, yeah. we have about a two, one or 2% no-show rate. And you might think, well, hang on, when I book a restaurant, I show up. But that's not true for people that book through hotel concierge. Lots of them fall asleep or forget to cancel. Right. And it's not true for people who book through Open Table. You might book three tables on Open Table and only show up for one. Right. So with our members, the restaurants make a lot more money, typically because our members are wealthier, they spend more money on wine. Okay. With tickets, we're the only people in the world that'll buy 3,000 Adele tickets or 1,000 Ed Sheeran tickets, um, 1,000 Killers tickets, and we'll pay £80 for an £80 ticket mm -hmm. and we'll sell it to our members for £80. And so what that means is the person selling those tickets to us, whether it's the producer or the venue, will know that they're not going to get sold on the black market. And they'll also know that they don't have to pay us a margin. So that makes us the marketing channel of choice. And then travel, they just love wealthy people. They're more likely to spend more in the hotel. They're more mm. likely to travel at the front of the plane, which is where the margin is. Mm. Um, and so you know that all, all flows. Absolutely. So you're making money for them, yep. which is 
always going to be attractive to you know to a business. Yeah. How are you making money? Because these are the types of services yeah. you're offering are very fine margins, mm-hmm. right? So are you taking all the way down the food chain, or yeah. are you just being paid by the client? No, we get paid by the client. That's right. Eighty-eight percent of our net revenues is yes. getting is money that we get from Coots, HSBC, from the corporates, etc. From the corporates. And only 12% is money we make from suppliers. And that tends to be hotels, right. where we make 10% after we've got a great rate for our member and free breakfast, early check-in, late check-out, All room right. upgrades, and so on. Okay. We don't make money from hotels. Uh, from We do make money from hotels. We don't make money typically on flights. We don't make money on tickets for music, theatre, and sport. We definitely don't make any money from restaurants. Right. And, and that's that important because part of the magic in our business is how do we get the best... Yeah. Restaurants working with us. How can we get thousands of tickets for Ed Sheeran? They want to keep their margin, right? They keep their margin. Right. So um, you're just bringing good quality customers yes. to them. The bank's happy because you're keeping their customers happy and they're spending more and they're making more money. That's right. And you're being paid by the corporate. Yes. So there's 12%, which is is that direct or what's the other 12%? The 12% is the money that we get from hotels. So that so is that, entirely that, from that. that. Is, yeah, pretty much. Okay, that, that's interesting. So you mentioned something earlier to me, yeah. which uh, from your private days, which yes. is why I want to understand your learnings from there. 2003, four, yes. tough times. Yep. Markets doing what it was doing and you were expanding it quite quickly. Yep. So you, you learned about managing growth. Yes. But market conditions change as well. How, so the question is, how long are these contracts with these banks and these corporates? Yep. You know, can you get through cycles? Yes, actually, interestingly, two th- uh, so in the two years after Lehman collapsed, we had two of our strongest years of growth, over 30% growth. Right. Um, and the reason for that is that when a, when a bank or a credit card business is in trouble, mm. the people they really have to look after mm. are the people that are asset rich. And our members are asset rich. So we don't tend to be, even on credit cards, we don't tend to be associated with credit-led products. We tend to be associated with customers who are asset rich. So Just if, cl- clarify what you mean by that. What's asset rich? That means people that have actually got money. It's either in the bank with a private bank, it's cash, right. or in investments with them. And they right. are really keen to have that when times get tough. I bet. Um, so they'll, they'll sometimes uh, rein it back on customer acquisition costs. They might start sponsoring a few things. Right. But they do not want to lose the confidence and the support of their asset rich customers. And that's really where we where we play and who we support. Okay, fantastic. So again, learnings from when you were private, yep. you, entrepreneurial background, <laughs> yes. beginnings. Um, you're looking at building up this this contract base with these corporates. You, you're going global. Is that the focus now, or are you looking at other revenue streams with perhaps different sorts of margins? Yeah, no. I think one thing we learned from the early days of being an entrepreneur, when you try and do too many businesses and try and do too many things, is that we are really focused on doing travel, dining, tickets offers benefits and events mm-hmm. and that just that um, we're doing those globally um, but we're already pretty global we're, we're almost fully global in fact mm. um, and we're not looking to uh, to move into any new geographies of, of note mm-hmm. um, we're not looking to start, start working with uh, loads of other different areas um, we've already got a digital platform that was new to us a few years ago but now we know what we're doing in that space mm-hmm. and so it's Really, the next couple of years, few years, are about executing on what we're already doing better. And that makes us more efficient, high margin, high quality. Right. So let's talk about shares just one last yep. time, if we may. Okay. So last year was tricky. You explained why um, that was the case. You also had this issue with technology. 
coming, yeah. being introduced. I mean, people said you shouldn't go public without the technology being sorted, but you didn't listen. Yeah, no, we went public anyway yeah. uh, in order to finance that tech. Right. Um, but as it turned out, we had one big problem in our business in the months after we IPO'd, and there mm. was one big problem, and that was that our tech arrived late. Right. Because the tech arrived late, it meant that lots of our launches got delayed, and it meant that our current corporate clients, banks and credit card businesses, mm. delayed promoting us when they would normally promote us two or three times a year. They just right. postponed that till the new platform was in market. So what that meant was that for, for years, building up the IPO, we were growing at more than 20% a year, CAGA, quite comfortably. Our first year of being a listed business, we were in the early teens mm. growth. So that was a, a disaster and the markets rightly punished us. Right. There was one issue with the business mm. and it was this tech being late. Fairly major, and you're building your business It was it. really major. Right. Uh, and then we still grew, yeah. but we deserved, frankly, for our share price to, to, right. to fall, and it, and it did. And you back up to where you think you belong. No well, doubt you're going to tell me you're undervalued. Exactly, we're not back to where we, where we should belong. <laughs> right, but okay. we're back up to I, I, more or less IPO levels now. Good man. With the tech working in markets, we, it's available in 100 countries around the world. Right. It works. Right. The rest of our business is going well, and we're coming through the cash burn stage of our, of our growth. Okay, we need to get into that, because yep. that is what people are talking about, saying, Growth is great, yep. and you, you can't argue the share price. Shareholders got to be pleased with that. But people are nervous about what the future holds if you're not delivering profit, gross profit, net profit, whatever you want to measure it by. So yeah. you've talked about fifty percent dropping down, but can you guarantee that? Yeah. Well, can we guarantee it? I mean, y yes, it's what we believe, and let me right. explain why. So, um, in the first six months of the year we've just reported, we lost over seven million pounds in cash. So that's a big chunk. What's lost mean? Lot, as in we spent, our cash reserves were depleted by seven million. Right. We invested it. But Good. to me as an entrepreneur that ran our business as a cash generating business for years, I, you know, I don't like having cash, uh, cash losses in the business. And in the first six months of that year, uh, the year we just reported, we lost seven million. The six months before that, we lost just over seven million as well. In the last six months that we reported, H2 of the year we just reported, we lost less than a million in cash. So that goes to really show that the cash losses are, you know, were steady at a high level, they're mm -hmm. now at a much lower level. And whilst we think, and then what the markets think, that we're going to um, burn some cash in the current period, H1 uh, of September uh, 19 through to the end of February, uh, 2020. After that, uh, many people in the markets are expecting us then to be cash uh, generative. But th that's that come, this is back again from your private days. This is yeah. a case of managing cash flows through the organisation, yes. not necessarily profitability. So I'm asking yeah. about profitability. Yeah. You're, you're burning through a lot less because you've got less big ticket items, but what are you going to do on the core services, which is delivering these contracts? You said, yeah. I think again, this I think back to this video, uh, which he did, which is, which is great. Uh, he's saying, the more contracts that we have in place, the more profitable we're going to be. And yes. I want to get at the answer to why do you say that? Yes. So effectively, we've got two big costs uh, in the business. We've got everything tech, well, we've got three. We've got the costs of our lifestyle managers and the team leaders and the people that deliver our high-touch service. And that's the service nice. that a human does. Yep. Then we've just got the day-to-day -day normal running costs for business, finance, HR, and all that good yeah. stuff, offices. 
And then we've got our tech. Now our tech investment has been in cash terms over 12 million a year. And we're expecting that to go up very a little bit, but not at anything like the but same. But this is all proprietary. It's yours. All proprietary, yes. Right, exactly. you're not licensed out, so the cost will come dramatically that, down. That's is that right. what you're saying? Well, no, those costs will they won't come down. They just won't rise at the same level as, okay. that, as net revenue. Okay. So in terms of will they be generating cash? Yes, they will. Hmm. Um, our other central costs we hold steady-ish. Again, they don't need to go up at anything like the same rate as uh, as our net revenues. Um, our lifestyle management business is actually getting a lot more efficient quite quickly. And the reason for that is that over the last couple of years, we've rolled out into some big new markets, Latin America, Spanish Latin America, Brazil, Canada, um, uh, South Africa, the Middle East, uh, parts of Eastern Europe, uh, Hong Kong, China, and so on. And in those markets, we've had lifestyle managers being inefficient. Now, an inefficient lifestyle manager in a new market might do, let's say, five requests a day. Mm-hmm. Depends what kind of request. But let's say, in a particular field, they're doing five requests a day mm-hmm. while they're building up the supplier base, learning their trade. Once they learn their trade, they're doing 10 requests a day. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say that we break even at about seven. So you're losing cash and profit yeah. at five. You're making cash and profit at, at 10. And those that's the journey we're on. Now, pre-IPO, mm-hmm. We had an EBITDA margin in Europe, which is our most developed market mm-hmm. uh, markets, of 33%. Okay. Now we ladled on some tech costs, but they're now decreasing as a percentage of net revenue, and we've got efficiencies coming in around the world. So we think the natural run rate for our business, in terms of EBITDA margin, is you know early 30s, and there might be room for for more than that. Why are you measuring it on EBITDA? That was really, uh, we could do it on EBITDA or EBITDA. The difference is fairly marginal for us. Right. It's but actually, we're, we're profitable quicker on EBITDA than we are on EBITDA. Right, okay, okay. Because it, it, again, it, as a business owner, you're looking at each overhead. Yeah. He can generate cash for you. There, obviously there's administrative overhead and there's chat cash generative overhead. Yes. And you, you're looking at each one of these guys to become more efficient through your technology That's platform, right. through being in country longer, yep. better relationships, etc. Yes. You're, you're monitoring all of the above. You, yep. you know, you are a lot of a lot of data points. I imagine a lot of that data. you're measuring. Is there real sophistication to this, or is it just old-fashioned old yeah. project management? Yeah, I mean, management? we can do amazing things with our data warehouse, right? Um, and and that allows us to scale the business much better. Uh, but it also allows us to uh, become a lot more efficient and a high quality in terms of service quality. So I'll give you an example. When right. we scale in a new market, when we're small in a market like Brazil, uh, we're doing every request for the first time. comes mm. back to being the, the yeah. original uh, yeah. proposition for 10. And so we're calling a restaurant, trying to create a relationship with the head reservationist or the owner. It's all, take, it's all a bit painful. Mm. When we get to scale, we've got a, we, get a, we have the mobile phone number of the head reservationist. We can call them direct. When we get to even more scale, they are holding tables for us. Right. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, right. Saturday lunchtime, right. which we can just book with one click. Okay. So we become a hell of a lot more efficient and much higher service quality. Same for Ed Sheeran tickets. Yeah. When somebody calls up and, it's, and they say, I want an Ed Sheeran ticket for um, a concert he's playing in Sao Paulo, and we've got a, got a very small business, and we're trying to find 10 Ed Sheeran tickets, right. um, we scramble around and we find them. Um, and maybe we have to pay, you know, maybe the member has to pay twice the face value to get mm. them. That, that's not great service, it's very inefficient. At scale, we're looking for a thousand Ed Sheeran tickets. We've got a pre-allocation on sale or return mm-hmm. of a thousand tickets. 
Mm-hmm. We know our members better because we've been in market longer. So we tell the members Ed Sheeran's about to announce. They tell us they want the tickets. We've got the tickets. We send them out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so efficient and it's much higher in terms of service quality and right. scalability. And it can all work digitally too. So that's how we get much, much higher margins and higher mm-hmm. service quality as we scale. Okay. Um, can we talk about this, yeah. the corporate structure, please? Yeah. Okay. You've got 10 lifestyle group. Yes. And you've got 10 lifestyle management. Yes. What are those two entities? Are there others, in fact? No, pretty, uh, everything is really a subsidiary of 10 Lifestyle uh, Management, which right. is a subsidiary of the, the, the public group. So there's nothing, we've, okay. we've kept our business very simple. So we don't have any intellectual property in the Cayman Islands, or we're not doing any Dutch washes or anything right. to reduce our tax. We've got a really simple UK PLC structure. Right. Management not paying themselves money from other vehicles. Definitely, none of that. Stuff. None of this Starbucks no, we're, we're very straightforward. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, um, so is, are you going to clean that up as you go forward and everything moves into the public vehicle or are you going to retain management Yeah, we for might some too. The, the only differences are that our travel businesses should really be broken out because you have right. to license those entities. Right. And so most travel businesses break out their travel uh, elements into different groups than, uh, or different limited vehicles than, uh, than, than, the, than the mothership. Right, okay. But that's just to do with the, the bizarre nature of travel licensing around the world. Right, and nothing about so maybe one for another day. Yeah. Um, so how have, you've gone about helping the original private investors monetize, or give them the option of monetizing yeah. if they wanted to, and exit, right? You're saying most haven't, mm-hmm. they've, they've come with you, they're buying into this story, this global growth story. Um, which is great. Yeah. How have you guys monetized that event for yourselves? Yes. So we took out some money. Right. So uh, we had a lot of options in the business, mm. which we realized at IPO, in that we, we, we paid for them to become proper shares. Yeah. Um, and so that looked like we took out more money than we did. Actually, I personally just took out 300,000 pounds at IPO. Right. Um, but I did pay to exercise all of my options, which I then didn't sell. Right, okay. So, so that was, um, so the IPO we were, we didn't take out very much. Mm. Um, and that was, uh, we were happy to not take much out because we could see that the business was gonna grow and develop and become more profitable right. and really get through the, uh, the risk of going global and rolling out the tech platform in those first two years post IPO. Right, okay. And tell me about the intracompany loan. What, what, tell us about what that was and what it was for. Because again, if you look at some of the chat rooms, people don't understand it. The intra-company loan. Yeah, um, 39 million. So we had a loan that when we took money in from IPO and from shareholders previously, we would lend it out to our subsidiaries right. in order to allow them to grow around the world. That's how we financed them. Now, the problem with that was that we then had a loan in 10 Lifestyle Management, mm-hmm. which made 10 Lifestyle Management look like it was uh, you know, really weak in terms of an asset base. So we converted that loan as a cashless exercise into equity. Right. And that then made 10 Lifestyle Management an entity that corporates and suppliers, particularly in the travel trade, were then happy to do business with. Presumably get better deals. That's right, exactly. And we'd, less kind of, we'd need to put less guarantees in place okay. uh, as an excuse for uh, having a bit, as a, as a cover for a business that looked like it had debts Right. That were actually just paper. So, just a, okay, so there's a, there's a paper exercise, intra company, right. no management having pulling money out, none of that. None of that. 
Got it. Okay. When do you start plowing your money back into the company and start rewarding shareholders? So that we're still deciding as a board what we're going to do when we've got big amounts of cash in the business. Right. Um, but we do expect the cash. Gener- so we finished last year, end of August was our year end, uh, with over twelve million pounds cash in the bank. You know, we're not expecting that to go significantly. When you uh, say, less let's be clear that. about what that means. It's cash in the bank, but that wasn't profit. No, that's not profit. That's just managing cash that's flow. Just Back cash to managing cash bank. flow. But you've got it. Gives you some optionality. It's more money's coming in. You've got some. It's a kind of. Yeah. I, I just think of it from my, my time of you know running private companies as well. You, yeah. you manage cash flow. It's very important. But for you as a public company now, the case is you weren't profitable last year. You are going to be profitable this year. But you're going to continue to invest in the business because you've set up this global infrastructure now, haven't you? Yeah. And we we think our our. Uh, we've we've got a lot of growth ahead of us, right? And so we are going to continue to invest in right. growth. Um, for how long? At, well, for the foreseeable, we think we can right. grow at uh, north of twenty percent a year over for many many years to come. But because that growth drops cash and profit, some of that will reinvest back into potentially even even higher growth. Right. But we absolutely don't want to be coming back and won't be coming back to the markets uh, in, right. in any. No dilution that, we've seen that you foresee. That will cause any dilution. Absolutely. Okay, so you can deliver your current business plan as you see it today. Things That's change. Right. Yeah, things but, change, but, but we're not expecting that. And we're also not expecting to uh, make any acquisitions. Now, again, right. never say never, but. Focus. We believe exactly, focus. And we can grow yeah. organically. So yeah. growing organically is good in a service business. Yeah. It's better for culture, it's yeah. better for profitability. And we think we can take the contracts that our competitors have got away from them because we have better tech and better service levels. So you'd only buy a competitor really to buy their contracts and we don't feel like we need to do that. We can just win them. Can be quite expensive. Which is a nice place to finish, which is what is the end game for you here? Because you're quite big now. Mm-hmm. You know, Who are the likely suitors if you were to be taken out if you wanted to go down that route? I don't know who the big players are. So I just- yeah. Help me out. So there's lots of people that want to get good at organizing dining tickets, travel, including right. many of the big US platform plays. You know, so you, you hear right. that people like Facebook and Google and Amazon are interested in this. Right. I think we're too early stage in our tech journey for them right now, um, but we might uh, get an interest in those areas. Um, but our aim is to stay independent and become the most trusted service business in the world. What we set up to do. 21 years ago when we were both in shorts. Full circle. Thank you so much for that. Great first introduction to the business. I'm very excited to to see see you you again. Yeah, very good Um, to see you too. But also hear how things have progressed. Stay in touch. This year's a big year for you. Big year. Hope you deliver. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.